Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's right. Episode 14, lucky number 14, because I said unlucky number 13 last week, and somebody said, oh, why'd you call it unlucky? I was like, well, 13's an unlucky number. <laughs> we were talking about an unlucky bastard last week. That's why it was unlucky number 13. I suppose so. so I suppose so. There we go. I can speak today. Yes. The Total BC Show, back with you, Mike Davidson, in studio how the heck are you doing, Mike? You look you look good. I've been tan well, I've been outside like crazy at pools and pool parties and barbecues. And I've been living summer to its fullest. I'm in I'm loving life. I I'm happy go lucky. I get to see my friends a lot more in the summer than I do in the winter. And um I'm out walking eight kilometers a day. It takes me an hour and 20 minutes. People don't believe I actually do it, but I actually do. What about you? Have you vacationed or anything? It looks like you got a bit of a tan going. Yeah, I, I do tan quite a bit. I haven't been to the beach yet this year, um, but I've, I've been out on a lot of hikes. I do like getting out in nature and hiking the trails <laughs> and stuff like that. So that's what I do in the summertime. Do you, do, know what's re- do you know what's really cool is when you go to the beach alone. I would never, because I'd get bored stiff. But I encourage people to go to the beach alone. Much like I encourage people to um, work on graphic design, and I encourage people to promote their wrestling shows differently. I think everybody should make a point of going to the beach alone for four hours, and you get to know yourself a little bit better when you're sitting there in the sun alone with nobody to talk to and no one to see. There's nothing wrong with that. There's 100% nothing wrong with that. I do stuff like that occasionally. I like to. I'm. I don't really like going a lot of places by myself either, but... These hikes, a lot of times, I just go by myself, and it's it's great. I like it. This so. is idle bee-shees. I love it. We're just bee-sheezing back and forth about life and what we've been doing with our time. And But one thing, I want to talk wrestling, and I've been breaking my own rules, and I've been talking about mainstream, and talk, talked about Vince McMahon a little bit last you week. You did. Yes. One thing I didn't say was what the impact for independent wrestlers will be now that Vince is done. Yeah, and and that's one of the things I was thinking about myself. Like, now that Hunter, Triple H, is in charge, are we going to see more opportunities for the indie guys? Because for the longest time, the whole edict was that we want, you know, former athletes, we don't want indie guys who've got quote-unquote bad habits, which is something we talked about previously. Is this something now with Hunter involved, do we see more indie guys uh, uppered or, you know, promoted Basically. Uppered? Uppered. <laughs> Mike uh, Davidson's uppered. I told you, that I remember last week I said, could you level it down a little bit? And then now you I come up, up with words like uppered. Well, I was just <laughs> trying to dumb it down. Yeah. Um, here's what I think is going to happen. I think Triple H is going to be more friendly to top and indie talent. And I think that they're going to go, they're going to reverse a lot. There's going to be a lot of Vinceisms that get reversed. And I think it's going to be more pro wrestling friendly in a perfect world. I'm talking now. And you gave me a pill, so if I start rattling, it's because you gave me 200 milligrams of caffeine, caffeine. and I'm used to 50 or 75 or 100. So if I rattle, I'm sorry, but it's Chris's fault. You're already racing. (laughs) But here's what I believe could happen here, and I think it would be a great uh, page turner for WWE. I think Triple H is going to be more pro wrestling friendly and less focused on sports entertainment because of the way he grew up. Right. I think he's going to be more wrestling mindset friendly than 
Hollywood writer friendly. And I think that that means there's going to be more conflict in creative as opposed to this, what did you call it? Homogenized. Homogenized. Yes, I'm trying to steal your words. I'm not going to define it, but I think (laughs) what you're going to see is conflict based angles. And if they do that, and I said this a few weeks back, I think WWE programming is actually going to get a lot better. I think you're going to see guys who would not have gotten an opportunity otherwise getting into into NXT camps, uh, performance center camps and getting qualified to see if they're good enough. I think the edict that you have to be a high level athlete that just aged out and never made it to the pros. And now you're going to be WWE. I think they'll still have that as well, but I think it's going to be more of a 50, 50 split or a maybe even 60, 40 that you have to have a wrestling background and you have to have wrestling psychology and maybe not the bad habits, but you have to have the good foundation of good wrestling education. I also think that there's going to be a lot of guys that were H's people who left the company in the last three or four or five years who might come back, although a lot of them ended up in in All Elite. I think it's going to be an interesting year with Triple H in charge of WWE, and I think it's going to be a very positive year for WWE. And, And when WWE's business is up, the business, the industry as a whole is up. Okay, so in a lot of ways, NXT became almost a third, you know, main brand. You know, you got Raw and SmackDown, those are the main brands, but NXT was almost made into its own big league brand. So do you see him maybe rolling that back a bit, or do you see him maybe setting up something different for developmental? Because right now, NXT is, it's almost too too out there it's too accessible like i know other people have mentioned that you know for wrestlers to get good they need to wrestle in front of flea markets and stuff like that they need to have a little less light on them right now nxt they've got a ton of light on them do you see them rolling that back or maybe setting up something different uh here's what i think i think when they went head-to-head with all elite and they lost vince lost all uh faith in nxt the way it was run I think that they need to go right back to where it was. Just like wake up from from Bobby Ewing in the dream from Dallas. Patrick Duffy's back. Yes. Triple H is Patrick Duffy. The dream is over. Let's go back to what was working with quite, with all quite a elite, dated reference or uh, with with what was working with NXT. But then sprinkle that dust into SmackDown and Raw. Vince now, I, I believe he's still in conference calls, and I believe he's talking to to Stephanie every day. But I think now. He can't stop them from changing. And I think change is what the word has to be going into WrestleMania season, which is January until April. This is their chance now to, to figure out what they want as their WrestleMania focus and lay the foundation now. It's a very exciting time for WWE. I said I would never talk mainstream wrestling, but I think that there are people who are missing the point of what will happen right now with WWE. I think you're going to see guys like Cody continue to be pushed. Yeah. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, the top guys in WWE are still going to be top guys. But now a guy like MJ, MJF who may still be out there, who knows what his deal is with, with all elite or Wardlow or guys like who would have said, Oh, I think I'll stick with all elite because I trust their wrestling first mindset. I think now if you could become a free agent and you can, get the bidding war started, you now maybe have a little bit more confidence that if you end up in WWE, the wrestling people that might run the wrestling company might know exactly what to do with you. Bear in mind the competition all elite is run by a weirdo billionaire kid who I don't think he's exactly the most wrestling. He's a, he books like a wrestling fan. I'll tell you this wrestling instinct isn't something that fandom gets. 
It's something that you, it's something you develop from just having a, a feel for it. And I used to have the feel. I don't think I have the feel anymore, but I used to be able to look at my locker room and say, you know, if I go, if I turn this guy and I do that, I, this will work. The people will follow the lead as opposed to the people leading and the, and the office following the fans leadership. I used to be able to say, you know, if I did this as a booker, I say I, because I was the creative, the sole creative person, if I did this and and I, and I just tilted the, the teeter totter a little bit, they will buy this. And I'll give you a prime example of what I did when I was booking for Bobby J. I actually flipped all the baby faces and heels. When I took over, I said, uh, Bobby, I'm going to, I'm going to turn TJ Bratt. Oh no, I didn't start with that. I said, I'm going to turn Shane Madison, Jeff, geez, wheeze. I'm going to turn him heel. What? (laughs) He's my top, he's my top baby face. And I said, just trust me, this is going to work. I'm going to flip Shane Madison and Donnie DiCaprio from babyface to heel. I'm going to put them with Will Damon. And then he was like, but, but you're going to have all these heels. It's going to be too strong of heels. And it, I'll be honest. It was heavily inspired by what worked with NWO. Right. That if you can create a super click of heels, baby faces will get stronger because what do you got when you got a they whole bunch to. of heels with heat, you should be able to get sympathy on the baby faces. Well, guess what happened? Then Vance Nevada and TJ Bratt were the tag team champions. And I said, I'm going to split them up and I'm going to make TJ Bratt a baby face. Vance is going to turn on him. And he said, well, this will never work. TJ Bratt's a total heel. And I said, if he's a good total heel, he'll make a very, very good top baby face. And it worked. It was the hottest business TRCW ever had. It actually laid the foundation for what worked for about four years in the local scene. And so what I'm saying is, I didn't sit there and say, well, the fans like this, so I'm going to do that. I wasn't reactionary to what the fans wanted. I started to think ahead and try to anticipate how the fans would react to what I wanted to book. Right. And that's what I think WWE needs to do right now. I think Vince has always thought, who cares what the fans think? We're going to go with my instinct, which is good. But you have to have a certain, you have to be able to predict that the people will buy it and swallow it. And, and, and love what they, what they swallow. And I think H will have the ability to do that. Okay. So well, before we wrap up our mainstream wrestling, it, it kind of brought up a question for me. Who would you hire if you were Tony Khan to help out with the booking, to, to write the ship, so to speak? Because you're, you're right. He, he books, it's very schizophrenic some weeks and, and the booking is very fanished. So who would you bring in to say to Tony Khan, you need to bring in this guy to help you okay. make things make sense. So Tony Khan's never going to give away the book because he's a mark with money. Of course. See, I was lucky when Jeff Dick, WFX was the money. He loved being involved with the wrestling business. He never wanted to run creative. In fact, I used to have to tell him, do not make promises to the talent that I'm not going to keep because I'm going to stick to my word and not keep it. And you're going to look like you're going to look bad if you make a promise. And if I don't think it should be kept, it won't be kept. Um, Tony Khan is never going to give up the book. So what Tony Khan should do is create a circle of advisors, right? And I don't think Jim Cornette would ever give him the time of day, but Dutch Mantel might. Yeah. Dutch Mantel would be a guy that I'd want watching my TV and telling me, Hey, this guy, this, 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 I had that with Bushwhacker Luke. Bushwhacker Luke would tell me Michael Elgin, keep pushing him as a heel. He's a real life heel. Yeah. Right. Um, and I would have Charlie Haas not tell me what Charlie Haas should be doing, but he would tell me, Hey, this guy's good. This guy's good. Bob Hawley would always say that, that indie guy over there, Nick Dinsmore once said to me, he said, you know what? You've missed it. 
you missed the top baby face you had in a crew because you're worrying too much about your imports. He, he pointed to Good Time Court, Bobby Fox. Right. And he said, that guy has sympathy written right all over him. You could put, he's the next Ricky Morton if you wanted him to be. Look at him. The girls are going to go crazy. Let the heels beat the heck out of him. Let him hit hot comebacks and you've got money written all over him. I missed it. Yeah. He was right. So I would have advisors like Dutch Mantel, guys that ha- can throw back to what worked in territories. I'd have Jim Ross advising. And I would, one thing I would be really focused on is get back to react. If, if the angle, if, if the character or the angle doesn't seem like it would really happen in a fight, do not do it. And that's where Orange Cassidy falls short and your buddy Dan Housen, <laughs> right? If you, if you can't make it seem like these two guys would really have a conflict, these two guys would really want to stick it to the other guy, stay away from it. Because I don't care that there's a large audience of wrestling fans who think cute stuff works. Because I'll tell you, that's all that's left. The disenchanted, the lapsed fans, we miss what Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels did in 1997. Yeah. We miss what Steve Austin meant when he was in a program and you could believe what it was was real. Sure, we loved the cuteness of The Rock. No, and I don't mean we looked at him and we were stroking it. Yeah. But I mean, we loved his one-liners and we loved his charisma. Well, we could get that with MJF. Right. But MJF is the number one guy in the industry right now for being able to deliver on the stick and then make us dislike him and believe him. Right. That's why he's the most valuable guy in the industry right now, because people would believe him. It's not overdone. It's not contrived. I want to watch those angles because he can make the baby face want to slap his face. Right. Yeah. That's the angle is the conflict. You got to have conflict. And that's where Tony Khan misses it. So Dutch Mantel would be a guy that he should have on uh, speed dial, like internet wrestling fans that might have good ideas. Brian James, maybe. I'm surprised he doesn't. Yeah, like that's that would be the guy I would go after right now. I don't know if, I don't really know if he knew conflict wrestling either. That's the thing with Triple H. He would have grown up in it though. With what WWE has the opportunity to do right now, they really have the idea, they have the opportunity to start fresh, the new season, and let's go back to conflict and athleticism and reality and why people want to buy a main event angle is because they want to believe it. If you can create that, you're going to have something. Do you think Tony, uh, do you think Tony Khan's real concerned now? Because I, I bet no. he, you, you have to imagine that he's a little bit concerned. He's going to have some real competition for those lapsed fans. Sorry to make that noise. That's me... <laughs> processing what you're saying and trying to figure out the way I don't think, I think Tony Khan's arrogant. I don't think he's sitting there. You know where he's going to start to have competition isn't going to be for the lapsed fan or the, or the really engaged fan, right? Where he's going to start to have, he's going to win if WWE gets really hot because as long as he doesn't end up like WCW in 1999 or 2000, he has the opportunity to win in a horse race, in a dog fight, Right. But here's where he's going to have competition. When somebody like, who's somebody he scooped recently? Give me a name. Adam Cole? Sure, Adam Cole. When Adam Cole's contract comes up, Adam Cole's going to be able to relate in negotiation to Triple H way more than Vince McMahon. And now the Triple H is now, I believe, talent relations vice president yes. or whatever, and head of creative. It's a lot easier negotiation. 
what can I expect from you in terms of create creative? What can I expect in, from you in terms of money? You're now negotiating with one person for your push and your, and your character um, integrity and how much you can expect to make financially. Now I'll tell you, I'll tell you someone who may benefit from saying, screw you, Mr. Tony Khan. I actually want to go to the other side, Kenny Omega. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you why Omega has been away for a year now and all elites booking has been hodgepodge like, Oh, we're going to try Adam, Adam page on top. Well, that really failed. Oh, well, let's go back to John Moxley. I'll tell you this. John Moxley's never going to deliver good ratings as a heavyweight champion. No. CM Punk. Okay. But he got hurt. And CM Punk's money is, is in an angle with Omega probably in big money matches that are dreams that we never got to. Cause he, he got hurt before he had a chance to have those matches going back to Moxley. There's no dream matches with Moxley on top. Listen to me talk about mainstream wrestling. Like I know it all. Um, so, Kenny Omega becomes the most valuable player because Kenny Omega in a money match against Brian Danielson on top, against CM Punk on top, against um, Chris Jericho, because I think they're tied, are they not? One and one. Like there's so many money matches. See, as a booker, what you have to be thinking about with your company is where is my money? Where are the big matches? Danielson, Punk, Omega can deliver that. John Moxley has nothing to give you. No, not anymore. I think they've gotten all they've got they can get out of him unless he's willing to change his character, which he's not, I don't think. It seems like this character's the same character he had on the indies. Yeah. And sort of more of a turned up version of what he did in WWE. It just seems like he's a little one dimensional. And I'm not saying he needs to be You're it, talking about Moxley? Yeah, he doesn't need to be a trash man. Moxley's a mid carter. But don't mistake that. The, I'll tell you where the money is. I'll give you the five guys in All Elite where the money is. There's money matches on all of them. Wardlow, MJF, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega. The next couple of honorary mentions, you got to think uh, Kenny Omega, uh, Chris Jericho yep. is right there as number six. Moxley isn't in the, in the seventh spot. No. I would think Moxley might be in the top 10 spot. There's probably a couple of guys underneath that are Adam Cole maybe is in the money spot. Uh, yeah. But and Page it, and Mo, uh, uh, Hangman Page and, and Moxley are not in that eight, nine spot. No. And there are guys that are there that are flying up like the rankings. Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is exactly where I was going to go. That guy is amazing. Like he's so good and he's going to be unreal. Yeah. And I'm probably missing one or two on that roster, but there, there you have it. That and before I, I, I before we go from this the segment, I want to say something else. As a, as our listeners, I want to know on social media: Do I sound like I know what I'm talking about on mainstream wrestling? Because if I told you how much mainstream I actually watch, you'd laugh at me. So if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, it's instinctive, and that's what I talk about. Instinctive. You either some some super fans watch every minute of wrestling, and they and they sit there and they say, "Oh, Moxley, this and da 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 da," and they think they know everything because they but they're reacting to what they see. They don't actually have an instinct of what might work, and that's the difference of what needs to happen with creative in wrestling right now. Is you have to stop reacting to what the fans are telling you, and you need to have the instinct of leading as opposed to reacting. So if hit me up on social media. If I'm dead wrong, tell me I'm a stupid loser. I don't care. It's all the same. All right, Mike. And speaking of leading, that's going to lead us right into a break. When we come back, we're push gonna... the social media so they know where to reach us. Well, you, you can find us on Instagram, Total Bees She's. You can find us on Facebook by searching Total Bees She's. Our PayPal and our email is totalbeesshees at gmail.com. 
and do not forget about the YouTube. Don't sleep on that because Mike Davidson's got some of his work up there. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. The whole WFX show. Oh, by the way, you can find me on LinkedIn, too. (laughs) Find Mike Davidson on LinkedIn right now. Do it. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. All right, Mike, we're picking up from last week where we left Two off. Two weeks ago. I didn't talk about that, it last that's week. That's right. On we talked de- about some guy named Vincent Kennedy McMahon. That's right. We're talking about the WFX story. And if you recall, we left off talking about economics and how were you able to produce shows for such a low amount. $11,000. Well, that's what I was going to get to. I've had people <laughs> tell me and say, you know what? Mike is talking some total bees she's oh. because there's no way his recollection is right 12 years removed from it. And there's no way that he was producing a show like that for $11,000. So how accurate do you think your numbers are? Like, do you have a ledger? Is this something that you each week you go home and take a look so you're ready for next week? Or Well, I'm going to tell you something, actually. When you do business with Jeff Dick, you don't keep numbers on paper for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, are people calling me a liar? I don't know if they're calling you a liar, if they're calling you a bees sheezer. Okay, so, well, one thing I will tell you is nobody wants to give credit where credit is due. How we did it for $11,000 is we did it on a shoestring budget. And then people will scoff and say, that's not a shoestring budget. Look at that talent. We did invest money in talent. We, I was able to leverage a friendship with Ken Playtink, who brought Cliff Simpson and a team together called Big Day Media. And they produced the episodes of TV. They were the TV production company. Ken Playtink was amazing. You know what he did? Him and his his team watched Monday Night Raw and watched exactly the way Kevin Dunn and WWE produced Monday Night Raw. And then they came up with the game plan to do that with with WFX. And before that, I was lucky to work with Scott Carnegie in AWE. So I've always, it's a very important position to find somebody talented and qualified who will do it for the price an independent wrestling promoter has to, has to pay is the, is the tough part of that, right? Cause that's a very important part of a company. And so we were able to do that on co- cost effectiveness. We did invest in talent. We also invested in photography. We invested in lights and sound and production. We invested in a whole bunch of other things. We had the nicest belts you could get in the industry. They were super nice. Yeah, and only one of them still is in our, my possession, the WFX World One World Heavyweight title. We lost the tags, which were the best tag, best belts I ever saw. That's too bad. Yeah, someone got it in a storage wars distribution. That's a story oh, I'll tell later, yeah, but we, it's a great story. That is a great story. So here's how it came up. Like, I'm not going to talk economics. I'm going to tell anybody who thinks I'm a liar, well, go F yourself. I'm not bees sheezing on the price. It was $32,000 every three weeks to produce WFX. And we got three episodes out of that. That's how you get 11,000. And that's before you take into the event day uh, revenue. 
Um, okay, so before you spin off, that gives me an idea of a question to ask you. Please do. Where did you where did you find places to cut corners? Not cut corners, but to cut costs. I just told you we had a TV production company that charged us pennies on the dollar of what they were worth. Did you have something like you have found a you know no catering or you know stuff uh, like little things no, like that? I think Jeff used to bring food in. I think it was pizza a lot of times or pita pit. Like there was something in the back for guys to eat because you got. You got a lot of people who need to eat something. Um, how did we, we didn't cut corners. The thing is we were doing it on a greater, at a grander level than any independent wrestling company could. We did it a lot cheaper than say impact, but bear in mind, Jeff was buying that studio and was going to own it. So we weren't paying a venue fee, right? right? Yeah. We thought we owned, I thought he paid to buy the building. It turned out he put a down payment in. There was a time period of him to close, whatever, whatever. I'll tell that another time. Cause that jumps to the conclusion of this story. And I don't want to jump to the conclusion here, but um, so we weren't paying for a venue rental fee. That's a big one. Uh, we had great rates with hotels. We were able to work with hotels and, and do a deal. Hey, we're going to be bringing this in every three weeks cut us a rate, work with us, tie it, you know, a little bit of money in sponsorship. But the big one was Ken Platink's team, Big Day Media. They could have charged us three times, five times what they were judging by quality, but we, but they understood what we were trying to do and they understood we were going to dance with the ones that brung us. And, and that would have meant that even if a bigger American deal had come along, they still would have had the first right of refusal to produce. We weren't eager to leave them. Let's put it that way. Okay. Fair enough. So the cost cutting was, it wasn't really cost cut. Well, talent wise relation, we, we went on relationship when, when it came time to book talent, I didn't say, Hey, I need you to come work for me. What is it going to cost? I said, I want to create a relationship with you. I'm going to give you X amount of dates over the course of the year. And I need you to become a major staple on my company in, in my company. And I say my company, I was the creative force. Really. It was, it was not, Hey, you know, what will you charge me to come and wrestle once? It was, you're going to be the top. You're going to be one of the top people. You're going to be promoted and featured. What is it going to take? And, and we were able to get really good rates that way. Okay, fair enough. So a name that has come up uh, often when we've been talking about WFX is Liam Phillips. Yes. So what did Liam Phillips bring to the table for WFX? Because you talk about him in glowing terms, and by all accounts, he sounds like a, an amazing guy to have in your team. I talk about everybody in glowing terms, even Adam Knight. What? <laughs> Adam Knight and Vance Nevada. I love Vance. If you noticed, I've laid off of Vance Nevada. Yeah. I talk about Liam Phillips in the same way you hear me talk about Steve Stryker or Jeez Wheeze. Yes. Um, Liam Phillips, I just got a, a message from him a, just in the last week, actually. We're going to go out for lunch here. I haven't seen him in a long time. <sighs> How did Liam Phillips come into the, into the fray? He had been, he'd been working on a documentary. I'd, he'd been around since about 2004 or five, and he had always done positive features as a, as a media producer for Shot, Shot TV. And he'd always done features on, on shows and he was very friendly to wrestling and, and what our goals and objectives were. So he, in 2009, prior to Jeff Dick saying, hey, let's, let's do this, he had expressed an interest in, he had a vision for a different way to present wrestling. And, and that was more in line with Jeff Dick's plan was to launch an online channel called eChannel1 and distribute it all online. And uh, Liam had this vision for that, that really was in synergy with what Jeff Dick had as a vision. 
The thing about Liam was he understood television way better than me. And he understood, because I understand wrestling. I understand how to create angles and conflict-based booking and, and how to build characters based on not reacting to fans, but getting fans to react to what you're creating, which is what is missing in today's wrestling industry. So, but Liam, I remember one of our first meetings and he went through the roster. I said, this is going to be our roster. And I slid a sheet across and he looked at it and he, and he picked a couple names and he said, what is, what is a John Cutler? What is prime cut? What is that? That's not a character. It's just a, it's just a label slapped on a wrestler. What is a what is a hot shot Danny Duggan? And he and he said we we got to add what what it is about them that makes them, you know, like yeah. What is a hot shot? Like are we talking? And and I would say like well you know like hot shot would be that arrogant that arrogant athlete that arrogant. And he's like okay well let's let's dig down and try to add layers of characters to these people. Um, and even even like Gangrel and and Kevin Thorne, he said you know like the vampire thing isn't very real. Let's make them like a criminal syndicate and they can, they can have dark undertones, but let's not make them their WWE characters that was pushed for the sci-fi network on ECW. He just, he just got it. Like, I'll give you an example. So I said, we're going to have Eric Cannon and Darren Corbin from Minnesota. And he said, well, what if we did something with, and I said, oh, I want to book Bushwhacker Luke too. And everyone was like, why do you want Bushwhacker Luke? And I said, well, I, I just, I'd heard good things about him from work with Andy Anderson, worked with him in Puerto Rico. And he'd always said Luke was a, was like a hell of a leader. And I just wanted to bring in Bushwhacker Luke. I thought the le the legendary status would draw a different audience. So he said, well, what if we did an angle? And if you watch WFX on YouTube, WFX Overload, they do an angle where Luke tells Eric Cannon and Darren Corbin that he's not much older than them, even though he's probably 40 years older than him. He's like, mate, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like 29 years old. And they're like, but wait a second, you were on WrestleMania five. And that's, that's 20 years ago. And he's like, do the math. And he, and he goes, I was 19 when that happened. So I'm now 35 years old. And they're like, no. And they're, and it's a great segment where Luke is trying to be like them. And he's like, let's go play some video games and da, da, da. And so as a, as a prank on the angle goes that they, they rib Bushwhacker Luke and they sign him up to take on Keith Walker, who was Larry Zabisco's killer. And it was, we'd booked Keith Walker to become a, we wanted him to be our giant heel who killed baby faces. So the, the first angle for Keith Walker is that he, Luke has been conned into wrestling this match by Cannon and Corbin who are ribbing him. They know they're ribbing him and Luke is going to get murdered by Keith Walker. Everyone knows it. It's a mismatch. And so Luke goes to Larry Zabisco and he's like, mate, can you cut me a break here? Like this is the kids, they messed with me. And Larry tells him, don't worry, Luke, I, you know, out of respect, I'll tell him to take it easy on you. And sure enough, the match happens and Luke gets slaughtered, yeah. right? So then they come back the next week and they're going around and they're planning Luke Bushwhacker Luke's funeral. <laughs> and they go to Larry Zabisco. They say, do you want to come to a funeral? Larry says, uh, he's not dead. Like his career might be dead, but he's not dead. And they do a funeral and Tony Candelo eulogizes Bushwhacker Luke. You got to watch it. it. It goes over like five or six episodes of WFX Overload. It was so creative and it was good humor. And it's not like some of the humor like you see today. It was a story that didn't take away from Cannon and Corbin being great wrestlers. And it gave so many layers to Bushwhacker Luke to make him a sympathetic baby face. And it would have made 
Keith Walker a very good heel if he hadn't won the Pro Wrestling Noah Tag Team titles. And then he called me and he said, listen, I can't do jobs for you. And I said, well, I wasn't going to ask you to do a job. But the fact that you called me and told me you can't do a job, I can't use you. Yeah. I wasn't planning to ask you to do a job, but I just, that what a terrible thing for a wrestler to call an office, the office and say, oh, I want a strap in Japan. And because of that, I can't do jobs. Okay. That means you can't do, you can't re- wrestle matches for me. I can't, I can't tie my own hands. Liam was so good at developing this. There's so many examples of it. You got to watch the YouTube channel for WFX Overload, which is on the Tulabishi's YouTube channel. And you'll see that he knew how to create layers on everybody. He, he had a plan for Danny Duggan that was going to feature Danny as this, as this like vampire slayer, not Buffy the vampire slayer, but he was going to be up against Kevin Thorne yep. and Gangrel and, the, and they couldn't beat Danny Duggan. It would have made Danny look all the, all the world credible. And Danny didn't like the angle. Like he, he pushed back. It, it resulted in him needing to be abducted for three three weeks so that they could miss him. So they'd realize he was gone. So when he came back, he came back with steam and he was, he was going to stand up to these superpowers. Basically going back to Liam, he had so many ideas. He he had an idea that we didn't end up using, which was going to be around Jersey shore. And then we ended up doing it with, uh, he wanted to bring in uh, the situation and Snooki before anybody had even heard of them after the first season of Jersey shore, that would have put WFX on the map. At the exact same time Jersey Shore exploded, we would have had the rub from Jersey Shore. Jeff Dick didn't like that idea. So then we pivoted and it became Johnny Fairplay from Survivor and Jesse Goddard's from Big Brother. And that, even though Jesse was extremely green at the time, was an amazing angle. It ended up being that they worked a program with Eugene, who was the veteran who could lead Jesse. Jesse looked like a million dollars. Eugene was the veteran. Everything he was doing creatively worked extremely well and it helped the program. The storylines flowed week to week. You can watch 13 episodes right now and see it. Everything he came up with. I said that uh, AJ Sanchez and Kevin Chevy had to be the number one push tag team in all of wrestling. He knew exactly how to do it. It leads, it leads to a tournament where he puts Christopher Daniels and Mentolo as the baby faces that are going to come out of the tournament against Chevy and Sanchez, the heels Mentolo ends up leaving because he gets a deal to do Lucha Libre USA, I believe. Said he couldn't do our TV. No problem. We pivot, go to Jimmy Jacobs for the final. Um, because we they were doing a, a flip of the team in the final, Larry Zabisco comes out as interim commissioner. And he says, you know, listen, for this match, because you're, it's not the right team that got to the final, he said, but I don't want to rob the people and just give a a forfeit victory to the, to in the final, we're going to let Chris Daniels pick a partner ends up being Jimmy Jacobs, but it's going to be best two out of three falls. And we're spotting Chevy and Sanchez fall one because we're allowing Chris Daniels to pick a partner. Right. Ends up being a great match. Chevy and Sanchez end up having an easier path to winning the tag titles. They only have to beat Chris Daniels once. So Daniels wins the second fall with Jacobs and then they lose the final fall. Chevy and Sanchez are the new tag team champions. And probably in 2010, right up there with the Briscoes, uh, right up there with Shelly and Saban, I think were a tag team, the Machine yep. Guns in, in in TNA. They were right up, they could have wrestled on any card, any level from internationally, Mexico, Japan to TNA, 
Ring of Honor or WWE, Chevy and Sanchez would have been able to fly with or roll with any tag team. I, I agree 100%. And, and, and that was Liam Phillips having the wherewithal to know how to lay it out. Because I could tell you instinctively what wrestling matches would work, what how to create an angle, how to maybe produce a promo. But I wouldn't have known, hey, Here's all the layers you can add to a story. Liam Phillips was amazing for that. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. You mentioned, uh, once again, Snooki and the situation. Do you feel like maybe that was, was would have that been a linchpin that would have gotten you the success that you needed to keep going? Like, if that happened, would have it changed the whole game? Because, you're right, they exploded around that time. They were super hot, yeah. and, they, and they became hotter and hotter as the time went on, would that have been enough to maybe get WFX over the hump? Well... Were there, were there linchpin situations like that? Like one... Yeah, so... One rub that would have done it. Yeah, so the... One of the drawbacks to me telling this over a long period, as opposed to just telling it all in one story, is that I avoid telling what happened to derail WFX. It, it, people don't know. Yeah, we don't is. want to get to that No, yet. I don't want to tell you that. How good could the Jersey Shore angle have been is impossible for me to speculate because I never watched the series. So I don't know. But what I can tell you is by May and June and July of 2010, serious we were able to create serious conversations with television brokers and networks that would not have looked at wrestling or WFX at that time we were able to create conversations and get them to take us a little bit more seriously because we had not so much, well, Johnny Fairplay was a big part of it, but Jesse Goddard's was fresh off of Big Brother. He still did cameos up until 2000, whatever, well into the teens. Jesse was still doing cameos on Big Brother. He was known as a CBS reality TV star at that time. People, He was one of the most popular and noteworthy characters from Big Brother. So... We were able to talk to, like, there was an American network, I'm not even sure if they're still big or not, that was willing to buy episodes of TV if we were willing to create specific episodes. So they wanted content, but it had to be specific content. They were willing to pay to cover some of the production. The math didn't work. Like, I think that they were willing to pay something like $2,500 an episode delivered. And we would have either had to expand our, our production nights into like a five hour production, which never would have worked or like there was no way to make 2,500 per episode make sense against the cost. So we had to try to figure out how to make that work. So WFX overload, actually there was already thought of maybe a spinoff series at some point based on that negotiation. A smackdown to your raw basically. Yeah, but we didn't get there and I didn't want to create that much more content because it meant that much more work. Um, but that was thanks to Goddard's and Fairplay having credibility. And Johnny Fairplay was extremely networked in, in different cable networks, like smaller ones, but networks that would look at, hey, for this content, we'd be willing to pay. We were starting to have those conversations. And it was more thanks to Goddard's and Fairplay than, say, Billy Gunn and Bob Hawley. But when they looked at the roster, they were like, this is good. Like, we're going to be able to sell sponsorships around paying to have this content. And that was really thanks to Fairplay and Goddard's. Okay, is there anything else you want to hit on WFX this week? Well, I think that was very fair. Like, I could talk about when Liam stopped writing 
uh, he was the writer, I think, for four tapings, I believe. So around episode 12 was his last one. Maybe it was nine. One of the two. And it was not, it was not a contentious split. It was a case where I got drawn away to do a bunch of side projects for, for Jeff Dick's One World United. And I wasn't responding to texts and emails and calls from Liam and he grew frustrated and just, you know, he gave his resignation because he wasn't for him to do his job. He needed, he needed to know, okay, what's the line or who have we paid to come in next show so that I know how to write them. And I, I had been distracted and wasn't responsive. And then I, I'll tell this story actually. So Liam stays on as the main writer up until episode, I think it's nine, but it might be 12. I'd have to go back and watch them. And a week before production day, so two weeks after one show and one week before the next one, because we ran every third show, he had wanted, he'd want to know what's the, who, who have we bought airfares for so that he could then write those people. He couldn't, he couldn't start writing until he knew that information. And I, we had hosted something at the studio and I become the sort of the event manager liaison for it. So I was working 16, 18 hour days and not responding to him. Cause I was like, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. So finally Friday afternoon, a week before the show. And I wish it had gone differently. Cause it, if it had gone differently, who knows what happens, but he releases on his personal Facebook that he had resigned from WFX effective immediately. There had been an email to me and then he had announced it before I could have said, Hey, don't resign. Yeah. I apologize. But after he put it out there publicly and Jeff Dick had seen it, it was kind of like, we need, we needed better. Right. And it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. Um, but once he had publicly made the resignation, we decided we were going to accept it. And I remember, I remember feeling gutted. Like here's this guy that's really laid the groundwork to some really great creative and really developed characters, Canon, Corbin, Dinsmore, Goddard's, uh, Sanchez, Chevy, so many guys, Bob Hawley, Charlie Haas, Michael Elgin, all benefactors, uh, Kip, Billy Gunn, all benefactors of what Liam's vision was and it was working. You would never fire your head of creative for laying the foundation so successfully, but he decided to step aside. And I remember saying to Jeff Dick, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, well, you're going to, you're going to handle booking. Cause I know you can do it. And I said, I could do it as, a, but I'm going to look for someone to take it over. So Liam is out. And it's sad that that happened because we lost a great create creative visionary. So then where, guess where I plan to take it. I, I, I started talking to people like Billy Gunn, Bob Hawley, uh, Charlie Haas, Kevin Thorne, Gangrel. I say things like, what's the take on Dutch Mantel? He's out there. TNA just let him go because Hogan had come in and they said, oh, Dutch is okay. Dutch is, Dutch is good. What's the take on Bruce Pritchard? And Charlie Haas wanted Bruce Pritchard real bad. Bob was pretty cool with both Dutch and, and Bruce. And then we also had Luke in-house. So we were going to have Luke. Luke was already mentoring me on just about everything. So it basically became, I would write it. Billy would have a bit of say. Luke would look at it. Gangrel, the whole bunch of people would look at it and say, okay, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, and who else did we talk about? I think Scott Demore's name. I actually might've had a, even a phone conversation with Scott Demore around this time. Uh, Stan Saxon, guy I'd booked with before at AWE. I wanted somebody, the problem was I didn't want to have to lead that like I wanted the same relationship I had with Liam. I would negotiate the talent deals. I would have final say, 
but they would have the creative freedom to come up and say, this is, this is the lineup. Um, and we, we were looking at Bruce Pritchard real hard. And I actually went to Jeff and I said, I want to do this angle. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to hire Bruce Pritchard and Bruce is going to do it for this. And I hadn't negotiated the price with Bruce. So I didn't know that <laughs> considering where he is now, yeah. I don't think the price I was going to get him there would have worked, but I do believe he was going to do it at least a couple of times to see if he liked it. I wanted him to be brother Bruce, basically be an evangelist. Right. right. So one rule, the funny story about this is Jeff Dick immediately puts his foot down. I don't like it. He says, and I'm like, why am I getting pushback on this? And he said, but the whole thing was one world studios he was in the process of buying it from Trinity TV, uh, which was TV evangelism, yeah, right? Absolutely. So like Willard Teeson, It's a New Day, used to be on CKD in Winnipeg, and it was basically, they would get people to pay for spiritual guidance. Yeah. And I was like, but it'll work. And he's like, oh, I, I, I do think it'll work, but I think that we will cause heat with the landlord. But he didn't say landlord. Like, I didn't know what the pushback was because I didn't know what the nature of if we owned the studio or didn't. So he's like, I, I just don't think we can get away with that. So he said, bring Bruce Pritchard in, but don't call him brother Bruce. So that was, there were some conversations then. Charlie was talking to him a lot. I wish we'd pulled the trigger. If I could have foresaw the future, I would have pulled the trigger. The reason we didn't pull the trigger on Bruce was because I thought Bruce is the kind of guy who's going to come in here and he might, he might look at Jeff as a money mark and treat him bad and Jeff might feel disrespected. Or he might be a kind of guy who comes in and says, Mike Davidson hasn't done anything in the business. I'm going to walk right past him and do my own thing. And I, and I anticipated trouble there. Um, so you talk about those kinds of people Imagine being in that position to get those kind of people to the forefront, right? So in hindsight, I wish I'd pulled the trigger faster. I thought we were going to be around forever. So I was like, okay, I can do this for a couple months and negotiate the right deal with the right fit. But in the interim, Bushwhacker Luke became the editor. I'd pitch everything to, and he'd say, mate, you got something there. Or mate, you got to change this up. This doesn't work, right? And And thanks to his vast experience in territories, it was amazingly valuable. Just a fantastic guy too. I, I, I got to meet him a One couple of a times. kind. So nice. And so, so gracious with the fans as well. All right, Mike, let's take a pause here. And when we come back, we're going to do the fan questions and uh, we might have a few little oddball out of left field things to talk about as well. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. Ah, without belaboring the point too heavy, I wanted to talk about an independent wrestling group um, here in Canada, and they're not actually just in Canada. They have a uniqueness about it. It's uh, Cloud9 Wrestling. You've heard of it, right? I have, yeah. Yeah, so here's the scoop about them that makes them unique. They run with one, they, they run a company based in the U.S., in North Dakota, and they run out of Minot, North Dakota, and now they've got a association partnership with a Canadian promoter who's going to run cloud nine wrestling in Canada. Talk about a uniquely competitive edge yeah, for an independent company. They now can run both sides of the border because they're going to run basically two separate companies, a Canadian company 
an American company, they both agree to use the same name, the same copyright, right? Um, and they've got a really good roster. They use Mentolo and AJ Sanchez and uh, Shaggy Campbell, and they've got some good guys from the States, homegrown talent. But imagine the advantage they have if they ever decide that they want to use imported talent, like big name talent, right? Well, now it's not just one date. It's one date there. American talent can come across the Canadian border as a performing artist and they can wrestle in Canada. So that's going to be interesting. They ran a show in Reston, Manitoba. Yep. Which is, it was a fair show. It was very successful. I saw pictures. I just wanted to shout out to them. I think that's a heck of an effort. And I think they've got a competitive edge because of their ability to run North Dakota, South Dakota, all the Midwest, if they choose to expand and run Manitoba, Canada, all over Canada, really, they could run anywhere. It's a lot of work, you know, just spitballing here. That's a lot of, one of the things that makes Danny special, Danny Duggan, CWE, is that they just pick up, they just look at the map and say, we're going to run this place, this place, this place, this place. And they, it's 6,000 miles or something like that. It's a huge yeah, massive amount endeavor. of, yeah. And they, and they go, okay, we're going to run five shows in Alberta here. We're going to run four shows in Saskatchewan. Now we're going to run three or four shows in Manitoba this week. And, and they're very active. That's a lot of work. Now cloud nine has the ability to do the exact same formula, but they can run the States and Canada because of their cooperation between two people. So I, I keep an eye on that cloud nine wrestling, uh, 3d pro wrestling is going to run their show in middle of August. Winnipeg pro wrestling is coming back September 9th. And we do have an invite for that. We do have an invite for that. I'm yeah. very flattered by that. I want to see what the hype is all about. You yeah. know, I actually thought about asking the promoters if we could set up and do a podcast in the hour leading up to the show not interactive with their fans. Right. That would be, that would be hijacking, but just to be there in the building while it's being set up and being able to see what the hoopla is all about. Cause I'll tell you when you talk about doing things right in terms of hype, nobody does it better than Winnipeg pro wrestling right now. Completely. 3D does a good job. I'm not prepared to say it's on the same level. I am willing to say that Winnipeg pro wrestling is on a big level right now. They're the ones that impress me the most, not picking favorites in Alberta. It's, it's top talent. Yeah. Top talent. They're doing amazing love wrestling right there. There's so many people doing great things. Uh, CWE does great things. Uh, that, uh, new, new, new uh, nation extreme new wrestling nation extreme out of, wrestling. out of, of BC. It's a great time to follow the Canadian wrestling scene. It really is. Uh, All-Star Wrestling really recently, I guess, stopped running. They put the company up for sale. I sent an email, like I might've been interested in buying it, but they didn't get back to me. They didn't take my email seriously. Kind of hurts my feelings, I, Michelle Starr. I guess we're going to have to I start have up Darren Metzl or Steve Stryker out there to be my operations manager. If I, who, how do they know I don't have somebody say, sitting there saying, hey, I'll back it. And Mike, you be the strategic advisor and put the thing together. I would have Scotty Mack and Steve Stryker working together in a heartbeat. I'd even have Vance Nevada consult. Yeah. If I bought all-star wrestling, listen to me talk about getting back in the business. And you know what I would do? I would run BC as all-star wrestling and Manitoba as all-star wrestling. And then, you know, maybe we bridge it together. I don't know what, I don't know. Like, I'm just <laughs> you, talking out of my ass. You're, you're talking about running after all. I'm not pa- running. All these past, I'm not running. All these past weeks about you, you, you insisting. I'm not, running. I'm not running. Yeah. <laughs> but if an investor told me, Hey, uh-huh. how would you do it? I might've been interested in buying all-star wrestling building off its good name. But that's probably why they think, oh, we have a good name and Mike Davidson has a bad name. You're out of your mind if you think that. 
I, I, if you listen to this podcast and you listen to history, you are out of your mind and you're out of your element if you think I've got a bad name. Okay, so let's if, ask if, questions. If you're a guy out there with a lot of money and you want to... Who's to say a guy out with a lot of money hasn't actually asked me? Well, who's to say? But if there's a new guy out there with a lot of money... Who's to say just, he wasn't new? I just want you to know that Mike Davidson and I are a package deal. I'm coming, I'm, I'm riding your coattails on this one. So yes. when you start up, I'm coming along for the ride. What is a good job for you in, in the Mike Davidson wrestling empire? I'll do the thankless. I, I feel like this is the part where you no. suddenly put me down. No, you no? can, you can be the contract negotiator. Cause I hate negotiating with talent. Oh, I love doing that. But let me tell you, if you go over the salary cap, you are fired Oh, and it comes out of your pay. Damn. See, Jeff Dick was never like that with me when I had to negotiate pay. I never, like, I really didn't have a salary cap. I'd have to go to him and say, this is a WFX story, sorry to digress. Um, I'd have to go to him and say, I can get this guy for this much money. When I negotiated with Jerry Lawler, this is, I'll save that story. (laughs) Yeah. But like, it would used to be like, I can get this guy for this. And then he'd say, is it valuable? Yeah. Why would I come to you if I didn't think it was valuable? if, If your instincts say it's a good idea, let's do it. Like it was never, I never had to sell him on stuff. He was, he, ha, he trusted my instincts. It was a great, it was a great relationship. That's the kind of financial backer you want. He was good. Yep. All right. Let's move on to fan questions. And this one's more of an observation. All right. Coming from the friend of the show, Dave Cote. Is it Cote or Cote? It might be Cote. I don't see an accent over the E, but uh, it's Cote is what I'm going to say. Spell it. C-O-T-E. Dave is great, by the way. He supports independent wrestling. I always say it's the people who buy the tickets who are the most important you can put him near the top of that list. Absolutely. Okay, so he said, hey, love the show. Very different perspective from what most uh, wrestling podcasts are putting out there. Yes. He says, as a dad who takes his kids to the show, I have to disagree with wrestlers working the merch table. And he's talking about you saying they shouldn't. So he's disagreeing with me. He's disagreeing with He's you. not valuable or important anymore. He's... <laughs> he says, for my kids, the interaction with the wrestlers is what gets them excited about coming back. So what do you, what do you say to that? How long are you going to give me to talk about you this? You have as much time as you want. I love it when you say that. All the time. Okay, so... Dave, love you. I think you're the most important part of the equation because you buy tickets and that's the most important thing in wrestling. Um, and I agree with you. And trust me, I've made the mistake that I preach against. I WFX, Eugene Dinsmore, Eugene was in the lobby selling merch and interacting with crowds. So I think Sean Devari was in the crowd or in the lobby selling merch. I actually think that's when I first realized it was a bad idea when Jeff Dick said, hey, you know, I don't know if I like that. And not that it was taking revenue from the company, but he thought it kind of made the guys look like they were, like they were shilling and, and working. And they were. Like, no, and I mean like, you know, asking people for their money kind of looked in his mind a little bit, mm, he didn't like it. He, he kind of thought, you know what? I just don't want the guys having to ask people, Hey, buy this from me and it's going to cost you that. Right. And I, and I actually came to agree with that. Now I, when I called it wrestling fan experience, WFX, I wanted it to be more than you just bought a foot and a half seat that you sat in. I wanted it to be interactive. Here's how I think it would be better presented as a fan experience is you pick two or three wrestlers on event day and you call that autograph alley or interactive, whatever, something that sounds cool. You sponsor it. You put a, put a major label on it. Like you get a sponsorship with say, I don't know, fight TV, or you get a sponsorship with rockstar energy drinks. These are companies I've had sponsorship communication with before you get like, 
not tap, tap out or something like that. And you do a deal where they, where they put their name on it and their logo all over it. And there's an interactive session where people who buy it, the enhanced ticket can now go and get their picture and have the interaction, right? I don't think it should be everyone on the show. And I also don't think you should sell them something as part of it. It should be an enhanced ticket. Yes, that's the value, but you shouldn't be pushing hard on the merch or making the fan pay for the picture, right? One of the things my dad always talked about when he used to take me to NHL games way, way, way back when, when I was just a kid, was he used to love to take me and allow me to get the autographs of the players. I loved it, but there was no... There was no, hey, kid, buy this from me and you'll get my autograph. It was, hey, Mr. Chris Chelios, could you sign this for me? Mr. Jeremy Roenick, could you sign this for me? And they would quickly sign something and walk, keep walking. There wasn't a lot of interaction. It was a thrill for me. So I understand what Dave Cote or Dave Cote is saying, but I want it to be a different presentation. I don't want everybody on the show at a table saying with their pictures and shilling their own stuff. I believe that has to be done by hawkers at a merchandise table and they should be very good looking girls or a good looking girl and a good looking guy who are very interactive and and that in itself is part of interaction. And they and they're selling the merch at the table almost like you'd see at a at a carnival or something. Yeah, that, and that's what what you described is a little bit differently than than what you talked about before where the guys are just sitting at a card table. Yeah, with a I bunch don't of, want that. I think yeah. it's lowbrow. Now, on the flip side, so the so you buy an enhanced ticket and you get that interaction with three talents and you pick the three talents. Per, it should be a feature. It should be one of your locals that you're really tying the tying it to, like that you really want to be a big deal. And it should be someone underneath up and up and coming. I'll tell you a throwback to WFX in 2008. I remember we were doing a fan. It was a contest, and you could win a dinner with. Chris Masters and the Vanilla Gorillas, Aiden Pringle and Johnny Handsome. So I remember Aiden getting mad at me because I didn't check it with him. He's like, the next time you're going to use me to enhance a contest, how about you ask my permission first? And I lost it. And I love this man. He's one of my favorite people. But I said, Aiden, with all due respect, I am not doing this as... Uh, I'm not doing this because the vanilla gorillas are selling this. I'm doing this to help make the vanilla gorilla seem like a big deal. I am doing this for you to be better and more marketable. I'm not doing this for benefit to me. I'm doing it for benefit to both of us. So please look at this differently and understand there is a value to what I'm trying to do. And I'm sorry that I didn't come to you and grovel and ask you, please do this for me. There's a value to this. This is the fan wanted the contest to be Chris Masters. You have to understand the value of now the fans are like, I went for dinner with the guy from WWE, Chris Masters and the Vanilla Gorillas who I haven't seen on TV, but they seem like a big deal, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying about the, going back to my point with Dave is if we make it now three people and it's an enhanced value to the ticket, great. Now, here's what should happen right after the event. Before everyone goes out and takes down the ring, the ring should never be taken down in front of fans. They should never see that happen. But I know why they do it, because they got to get they, they want to get that done as fast as possible. Now, as the fans start to leave, that is the perfect time for all talent to 
end up in the lobby. So as they leave, oh, I got my autograph with Mentolo. Oh, I got my autograph and picture with AJ Sanchez. Oh, I got this, I got this, I got this. And at that time, if they bought the shirt or if they bought the picture, that's when the autograph is. Now, the hawker can even say, if you buy this picture, you just have to wait in the lobby right after the show. So-and-so will be out to autograph it. There you go. Yeah. Make it after the event as opposed to before the event. And I'll tell you why. And I know this to be true. In 2010, WFX, Eugene was out there working the people as they came in every single show. Bob Hawley wasn't. Now, who would you say would be the bigger baby face of the two? Eugene. No. Bob Hawley would be the bigger baby face based on WWE uh, careers. Okay. But the reaction of the people, because they hadn't seen Bob... They hadn't shook his hand. They hadn't talked to him yet. He'd gotten into the building before anybody or after or without anybody getting to shake his hand, take a picture with him. So when Bob Holly came out for the first time that night, ladies and gentlemen, hardcore Holly, huge pop because they hadn't already yeah. interacted with him. And that's why I say you should not be doing this before the show. Not to mention the other point I make is imagine you go to a pro sports event. Let's say you go to a NFL game. And you're going to see the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to use the biggest of the big. Now you get, you're walking into the main. Now they would never do this because could you imagine Aaron Rodgers trying to satisfy 20,000 people? Yeah. Day? But let's say you could somehow even keep that line to 200 people. Do you want Aaron Rodgers worrying about taking a picture with 200 fans or do you want him studying the playbook? Right? Yeah, I want him exactly. focusing on the game. Now, same thing. Do I want Mentolo worried about meeting 150, 200 fans before the show? Or do I want him focusing on his championship main event match? I want him focusing on his championship main event match. It should not be routine for any wrestler on any show that they, they can call it in and they can go jack around for, for an hour or two before the show. They should be focused on game plan. That's the way it should be. So that's where I'm at with that. Hopefully, Dave, we can agree to agree and I'm right and you're right and we're all right and we're nobody's all right. wrong. But thank you for sending that in and I'm happy to debate it further. If you have counterpoints, we'll carry this on. Just send us an email. All right. And moving on to the next question. This one's coming from Nick. He says, listening to you guys last week talk about Vince McMahon, it sounds like you were happy to see him go. Do you think that you're being a little bit disrespectful to a man that's done so much for the wrestling mm, business? Good question, Nick. I don't think I'm going to step in here, even though you're the expert. I don't think we were being disrespectful at all. I thought I I thought we put Vince over, which is pretty good considering we don't know what the future holds for him. It's almost like putting over Louis C.K. before he got me tooed. You oh, yeah. know what I mean? I have an immense respect for Vince McMahon. Many of the things I've tried to do in my adult life have been inspired by Vince McMahon. If I sounded happy at what happened, it was more, I got to be able to be right in my conversations with some of my closest friends who said, Vince isn't going anywhere. And I said, you know what? You can't be sure about that because it is a publicly traded company. And if there's enough pressure on a publicly traded company, Vince will go somewhere. Um... It is a bad day for wrestling when Vince McMahon will not be able to just decide to go on TV and be a part of the program. It could be a great day for wrestling that Vince McMahon now has handed control of the company and can't take it back. Yes. There now can be a new consistent voice to grow WWE and that I'm excited for. I am, it was not a great day for wrestling that this has happened and we don't even know the worst of it. It could be a very dark cloud over wrestling. If it gets worse... 
like there was a big payout to one woman that he got oral copulation from and then gave her a contract or, or whatever, or she was under contract. And then he asked her to do it again. Do I understand the story? He asked her to do it again. And she said no. And then he let her contract. That's, that's my basic One of the reports yeah. and he had to pay her out many years later. Unconfirmed report. We'll just say that. Bill O'Reilly got fired at, at Fox, Matt Lauer, Roger Ailes. That's exactly what happened to Vince. The reason why Vince chose to do it when he did is because that was his, he was getting to the last opportunity to handpick the successor. If the heat came on too much, if something really bad comes out, what would stop Fox from saying, we feel uneasy continuing our relationship to broadcast Friday night Smackdown, given that the CEO, the major stakeholder did this stuff. What's how much more worse stuff is going to come out, right? He had to do what was right for the company and he did. And for that, it's probably a good thing. I don't know what he did. I only know that he felt it was important enough to pay $12 million out to people at the end of it. To me, that's an acknowledgement that something he did wasn't right. That's why he paid that kind of money. Yeah. You don't pay money for doing something right. Exactly. So I'm not judging him and I'm not sitting there throwing a party. There's a part of me that's excited for the, for the flipping of the page, but there's also a part of me that's actually sad some of my greatest memories is a, that inspired me to ever want to get into wrestling was Saturday night's main event more so than WrestleMania. The Royal Rumble is my favorite pay-per-view to this day. I I'm grateful to Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon for making that such a spectacular event every, every January. There were so many things that Vince did right. Last week, I tried to talk about the good and the bad and what will happen next. And if anyone got the idea that I was throwing a party at the expense of Vince McMahon, that's just dead wrong. There was no disrespect intended. Can I, can I, what can I tell you to let you go? Cause I don't want to end on that note. I can't think of anything. Um, you know what? I, I actually do want to talk about something. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad I have this opportunity. My understand, Caveman Broda was recently laid to rest. We talked about him in episode one and his impact. I didn't make it to the, to the funeral. I actually feel real bad about that. I'd saw it on, I saw it on Facebook, but I'd already had a commitment to work and I could have got out of Like, I don't know, maybe I could have got out of it, but I saw a great picture and I, we're going to share it on social and it's from Caveman Broda's memorial service or funeral. And in the picture is Bobby Collins, great local wrestler, somebody that I, that was really great to me when I was 16 years old, breaking in and Brian Jules in the picture and Rob Stardom and Wayne Stanton looking just, he looked polished. Yeah. The white hair, he, white hair suits Wayne Stanton. Like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Terry, Terry Mahalik took the picture. I'm, we're going to post it. I just, Todd Bullitt was there. There's a lot more of us who should have been there. And, um, you know, in spirit, I would say I was there, but I, I didn't make it. And I feel like crap about that. But the guys who did make it, they always were the leaders in the lo- local locker room. And Broda was a leader in the local locker room. So a tribute to the guys that made it. They showed up guys like me who should have been there. Uh, Marty Goldstein was, Marty Gold was there. Marty Goldstein. Just a major shout out to you guys for, for paying respect to a true legend of the local scene and also an opportunity again to mention Caveman Broda and how great he was. So sorry to end it on a somber note, but I wanted to shout out to those guys. We're going to share that picture and uh, Broda, we miss you and uh, the business was better when you were around. 
And you know what? With that, Mike, I think it's time for us to wrap up the show. There you go. I think Glenn Goes is going to cheer everybody up. And Mike, spell it out for us. R-A-S-S-L-I-N. That's wrestling. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Erics can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?